0: The Biden administration is sending out a clear signal that we can expect to see big changes in policy and priorities from its predecessor. Our podcast guest this week is one of the deep thinkers from the financial regulatory world, Joanne Barefoot, CEO at the Alliance for Innovative Regulation. She's with us to share her thoughts on what the regulatory landscape might look like in 2021 and beyond. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. A new occupant in the White House, a slender new majority in the Congress, And with those changes, we can expect to see new priorities in financial regulation. Joanne Barefoot, co-founder and CEO at the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, is this week's podcast guest. She's here to talk about what some of those changing regulatory priorities might look like. So Joanne, many thanks for being with us.
1: Thank you, Terry. It's great to be back on the show.
0: So Joanne, let me start by going back a month or so ago to Inauguration Day. You made a short video very early that morning in D.C., not far from the Capitol that you posted to LinkedIn. And in that video, which has gotten thousands of views, you said that you expect to see three significant changes in the government's efforts to modernize regulatory technology. But before we get into the actual changes that you anticipate, I do wanna ask you what your thinking was in making that video, setting your alarm so early and standing out there in the cold in the wind, when you could have slept in, stayed warm and done your post in writing.
1: Yeah, thank you for that question. So I do live not far from Capitol Hill. Long ago, I worked for the U.S. Senate. I've been on the Senate floor. And the events of January 6th were very distressing and galvanizing and thought-provoking. I think like many people in the part of Washington where I live, I had spent from the 6th to Inauguration Day braced for more violence. And as the sun came up that morning, I was afraid we would have a a terrible day. And as it turned out, we had a, a very successful inauguration day. But it's a sobering moment. And I share with millions of other Americans the concern that we may have entered a period of more unrest and more violent extremism that will change how we live. So I wanted to go out and offer my hopes that morning that it was going to be a good day.
0: We'll touch on a little bit about that later in our chat. But for now, I want to do, to ask if you could give us a quick overview to the substance of your post, You know, those three big changes that you're expecting from the Biden administration and from Congress with regard to RegTech.
1: So the first one is no surprise. I think we're going to see in the Biden administration a tremendous upsurge in focus on racial equity and gender equity also. The killing of George Floyd last year really galvanized a lot of concern on race. And the second one was the possibility, it seems to me, that the recent experience of the United States is going to focus attention on the problems of rural areas and how to create opportunity in them. And the third area is the likelihood, it seems to me, that we'll see the anti-money laundering efforts of the enforcement community and the industry taking on a focus on domestic terrorism and how to find the money that may be backing it.
0: So let's drill down into each of these potential changes individually, starting with the greater effort by the government to create complete racial fairness, to create greater gender fairness in financial services. Obviously, that's a huge undertaking and addressing issues that have been centuries in the making. So what would success for this look like in a single presidential term, and where do you think the best place regulation-wise for the White House and the Congress to start?
1: That's a great question. I think part of it is going to be about the people who are driving these agencies and these policy initiatives, and we are seeing a great deal of diversity in President Biden's early picks in the financial sector, I do think that'll be a factor. I think it will permeate the HR thinking for both the government and the industry to think about how do we really remove barriers and get talented people able to climb ladders quickly. But the other thing is that it seems to me that the moment that the country was in really centering on the killing of George Floyd last year, but obviously that was part of a larger set of episodes, has galvanized the will really to do better on this issue. And there's the old saying, where there's a will, there's a way. As you said, we've been trying to reach more racial equity, full racial equity and gender equity for centuries and in over recent decades and made some progress, but not enough. I think that the moment we're in now is opening up the possibility of a new way to make new progress to go with that well. And that is to use new technology and new kinds of data to get better at understanding the individual realities of people's situations in the financial area and in credit specifically. An area that has tremendous promise is new types of data for credit underwriting. We have our traditional ways of evaluating credit worthiness through credit history and credit scores, and they do very well for people who have robust credit histories and good credit scores, but they leave out millions of people who could pay a loan back, but are difficult to underwrite with the old traditional methods that we've had. So we have a revolution underway in how to gather data differently, analyze it in new ways, and make it efficient and effective to be much more granular in evaluating credit. And that's going to open the doors for millions of people. And another dimension of technology is that the technology is bringing down the costs of delivering services to people everywhere through online and mobile channels. And that too is going to open doors.
0: The banks really have stepped up their efforts in the past year or so, since the the killing of George Floyd in, in Minneapolis and the social response to that and to other similar events but what the banks have been doing has been largely voluntary so how do you think the financial services industry will view the regulatory impacts to their businesses that might arise from the pursuit of what your group refers to as fair finance
1: it's too early to be sure obviously and there are a lot of facets to what may be ahead I do think that a win-win is available. I mean, banks want to be as accurate as they can be in assessing risk. And also on the AML side, they want to be allowing people into the system rather than screening them out using know-your-customer screens. So they have an interest in great accuracy, as do the regulators in risk evaluation. And so I'm hopeful that... We are going to see the regulators encouraging more forward thinking on these kinds of techniques. I'm talking about, and that that'll be opening up markets for banks, for community banks. If you could underwrite more accurately, you would have the potential to expand your market in place inside your footprint. this is true for any bank, but think about community banks that may be in a market that's not growing, and. When they try to grow, therefore, they have to leave their markets or try new kinds of products that may or may not be within their comfort zone. If you could just lend to more people inside your own community because you had better information on them and could more easily evaluate the risk, and if the regulators create an enabling environment for that in which they're encouraging it instead of, you know, in the past they've been not meaning to discourage it really, but I know a lot of bankers, worry that their field examiner may not be comfortable with a new and different technique. And I think if we can move the whole ecosystem to really smart and
0: careful use of these
1: techniques, it could be very
0: good. The point you're making about community banks and the opportunity that's available to them, it's a good segue into your second big change that you discussed in your morning video, and that's the need to get more serious about the economic issues facing rural America as a way to try to help repair the deep rift in the nation between red and blue, between bustling big cities and languishing small towns. So let me pose the same question. What would success look like over the next four years in that area? And where would be the right place for elected officials and regulators to start to have the fastest impact?
1: So on this one, I'm not so much hearing talk about this as I have just been thinking about it intensively. It seems possible to me that the red state, blue state divide that's doing so much damage to us will cause a lot of thinking about how can we be sure that rural areas in particular are thriving, that they have opportunity for people, and Some aspects of the conflict that we've been in in this country are not going to be solvable through any kind of policy like what I'm talking about here. But if you're talking about economic opportunity, if you're thinking about creating better education, if you're thinking about maybe better ways of dealing with problems like the opioid epidemic, which can be really intensive in places where there's not good opportunity for people to see how they're going to thrive in their life it seems to me that it will make sense president biden talks about uniting the country to turn our attention to this and i have a few ideas that are very very preliminary but maybe we should be thinking harder about giving cra credit for investing in communities of these needs rural communities are already in cra but there might be ways to attract more capital into them through encouraging banks to do this through CRA credit. There obviously is a tremendous need for more broadband in a lot of rural areas. My tech friends tell me that this will soon be solved by Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and their satellite activities, but it's really an essential thing. And then it's also occurred to me that there might be some way to adjust the CDFI, the Community Development Financial Institution, ground rules and focus to give more credit and incentives for the community banks that are serving these communities. One thing is we've got to save our community banks. They are mainstays of these communities. And I think they're at risk through the challenge of keeping up with technology.
0: Joanne, your organization, Alliance for Innovative Regulation, is of course, active on a lot of fronts. But on these two points that you were just discussing that we've been talking about, what role do you see for AIR in taking on and advocating for financial fairness based on race and gender and a brighter future for the rural regions?
1: So AIR exists to connect people, to share information and insight across sectors. In the United States, we bring together people from the financial world, the regulatory world, and the tech world, and try to work on how technology can solve some of these problems. I'm a great believer that when you've got a hard-to-solve problem, you should try harder. But we have a lot of opportunity today to solve timeless, difficult problems by bringing smart new technology into them. So that's what AIR does. I'm a lifelong specialist in working on financial inclusion and consumer protection and opportunity. And it occurred to me about six or seven years ago that we could use technology to solve problems that we've never been able to solve through regulation if we can be smart about adopting them and if the regulators can get these tools into their own hands and one other thing on this the regulators themselves and this is a lot of what air does the regulators themselves have to get better technology just to keep up with what's going on in the industry that they're regulating technology changes at exponential speed and our regulatory apparatus is designed intentionally to be slow. In the tech world, they would say that's a feature, not a bug. So because it has to be careful and deliberate, and and it does. But we're going to have to figure out how to speed up the regulators, give them more information more quickly
0: to use. COVID has really dramatized the need for this. The third item on your list of of three major changes, that is shifting anti-terrorism resources toward combating domestic terrorism, which kind of brings us back to your January 20th video. But if there had not been the storming of the Capitol building a couple of weeks before that, would this still have been an item on your list?
1: It would not have made my top three list, no. And how we go forward from here may depend on what happens next, whether the concern about domestic violence and extremism subsides or not. But One thing we know is that it's possible to find a lot of crime by following the money, so to speak. That's what the Bank Secrecy Act is designed to do. And this is an area where there's just tremendous innovation underway, using new kinds of techniques to solve problems. Because the technology is getting better and the data is getting better, as we talked about before, it will be possible to do that with patterns of domestic terrorism, just as we do with international terrorism. And I think we'll see that happening if and as the problem
0: grows. As you think about this, do you see it as a shifting of resources to the domestic front? That is shifting resources away from the global front? Or is it more a matter of adding new resources? Is it a new front in the fight, so to speak?
1: It's probably some of both, but the FBI has said that the domestic extremism is a greater threat now than some of the international terrorism has been. Obviously, it's important to continue to be vigilant on all fronts. The Defense Act that passed in December includes a tremendous amount of new guidance for FinCEN, and it is infused with encouragement and mandates for FinCEN to leverage technology better. And that, as we talked about before, that has to be done carefully. We have to protect people's privacy. We have to protect people's information. We don't want government surveillance that's not carefully tied to due process. It could be abused, but nevertheless, we're losing the fight against global financial crime. The UN estimates that we currently catch less than 1% of it. And that's because we're using old technology today and the criminals aren't. The criminals have good technology. So I think we'll find that law enforcement and FinCEN can become increasingly efficient on both fronts by using these new technology methods.
0: Let me change it up a little bit here. Last year, your group, AIR, published what you call a RegTech Manifesto, which envisions a redesign financial regulation to meet the needs of the digital age. And in this document, you write... Regulation innovation cannot be an oxymoron. So has it been an oxymoron? And if so, what are the best ways to change that?
1: So we intentionally gave this paper a provocative name, called it a manifesto, hoping that people would realize it's not just another white paper. It's an attempt at engaging a community and talking about how to solve the problem of regulation being intrinsically difficult and expensive to do. Expensive for the regulators, expensive for the industry too. So in that sentence, part of what we're arguing is that technology is not intrinsically good or bad. It's neutral, it's amoral, and it can be used for good or ill. The regulatory sector has always been innovative, as has finance. I'm a former deputy controller of the currency myself. I'm second to none in admiring the regulators my son became a bank examiner i'm not criticizing the regulators but they're not equipped with the technology that they need and so we're going to find that we need to give them digital technology digitization is changing every realm of our lives think about it medicine retail delivery by drones you know electric cars streaming entertainment you know you name it it's being transformed by digital technology And digital technology is not just an evolution of the technology that came before it in the analog era. It's a shift that is creating the ability to make things work better, cheaper, and faster all at once. We've never had that in the regulatory world. We've always had to choose between better and cheaper. And now if we can move the system toward digital techniques that can keep up with the industry that the regulators are trying to oversee, we have the opportunity to really have a historic breakthrough in solving the problems that regulation is supposed to solve. We call this fair finance. The financial system should be inclusive, non-discriminatory, transparent, and easy for the customer to use. And it should be free of financial crime. And the regulations that we've had up to this point using the old technologies have been doing a lot of good but far from closing the gaps toward where we would want to be on those goals. And uh, if we're smart about how we use technology, we can do vastly better.
0: In terms of living up to its provocative name, the manifesto from AIR takes some bold positions. I'm reading from it again. As technology transforms finance, regulation could be one of the single most important factors in how much it will produce good versus evil. So again, a strong statement, and I'm sure you don't intend that is hyperbole. So what's the good and what's the evil in that construction? And what does the regulatory sphere do to sort that all out?
1: So it's the same thing that we've been talking about. The evil would be if we allow new technology to be abused, if people lose their agency, if people don't know how their data is being used if we find ourselves being manipulated through technology psychological warfare if we find ourselves being priced based on algorithms that are pretty sure that they can play upon our vulnerabilities in some way you know there's a lot of dystopian potential ahead through new technology we could have some of these technology techniques make racism and sexism worse instead of better that would be the evil. On the good side, though, if we regulate it in a smart way, if the regulators, and again, i they have the hardest job in this whole thing, the policymakers and the regulators, if they can create the right framework in which it's very difficult to abuse data and it's very easy for the industry and government to use data in ways that are going to build a better financial world, then... Again, we can solve problems we've never been able to solve before. I read somewhere that Solon banned debt bondage in ancient Greece. I think it was like 600 BC. You think about that and you know that government's been trying to solve the problems people have with their financial lives for a long, long time. And we don't have it solved. People get caught in loans they can't repay they can't get into the financial system at all because they don't qualify or have the right documents. You really see this in the developing world where new technologies have brought hundreds of millions of people into the formal financial system over just the last 15 years or so. People who never were going to have somebody build a traditional bank branch for them, but because they have a mobile phone, it becomes affordable and profitable to reach them with financial services. I mean, this can make the world a better place if we do it right. So that would be the good. It'll never be perfect, we know that. It's a human enterprise, never perfect, but massively better than what we've had in the past for everyone, for the industry and for the consumer and the customer as well.
0: Okay, not perfect, but massively better for everyone sounds pretty good too. And then keep working to make it even better. So Joanne Barefoot, CEO at the Alliance for Innovative Regulation, thanks again for joining us on the Banking Strategies podcast. As always, we appreciate your thoughtful views.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: A few takeaways from our conversation with Joanne Barefoot regarding the regulatory landscape going forward. First, Joanne spoke about three significant themes she sees in Washington's upcoming regulatory efforts. The first is a much greater emphasis on trying to achieve racial and gender fairness in the U.S. In addition, she envisions the federal government will focus more attention on creating economic opportunity in rural America. And the third theme is an expansion of anti-money laundering efforts aimed at domestic terror risks. Financial RegTech has a clear role in addressing each of these areas. For racial and gender fairness, new technology and the use of different data sources can provide a more inclusive view of credit risk within underserved communities. For rural areas, RegTech advances can help community banks better compete on a smaller budget. And in the area of AML, tech innovations can be invaluable in detecting and impeding financial crimes. And finally, while using tech to address those financial issues would be a societal good, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation urges vigilance to make sure RegTech advances are not used for ill purposes, misuse of personal data, people losing agency and making key decisions affecting their finances, unfair manipulation through the use of algorithms. These types of abuses and more present important challenges for regulators to get right. Thanks for being with us for this week's BAI Banking Strategies Podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor of BAI. Please join us for our next conversation on an issue of importance to the financial services industry.